Alright students, this is our 2019 semester one Iliad review session. We're going to go as long as we need to go in order to get from book one through book 24. Let's go. Alright, so as you know the Iliad began in the 10th year of the 10 year long war called the Trojan War. It began in media rays in terms of liter uh, literary terms. And it begins with a conflict between two men. Two men who are on the same side, two Achaean men, Agamemnon and Achilleus. Let's remember what the problem was. Remember that first this priest named Chrysus came down to see the Achaeans. He asked for his daughter Chryseis back, who was the new concubine of Achilleus after he had recently sacked the city. A city where, uh, unfortunately, Hector's wife's Andromache's family had just been killed. Her brothers, her mother died, her father died. Very sad stuff. In any case, remember that Chrysus asks for Agamemnon to get his daughter Chryseis back from Agamemnon. Agamemnon very rudely refuses and sends Chrysus away. However, Chrysus has one trump card, his trump card being that he is a priest of Apollo. He then priests, or excuse me, he then prays to uh, this Apollo, and Apollo sends down a curse onto the Achaeans, and particularly to Agamemnon. This curse afflicts first the cattle, and then the Achaeans themselves. Finally, somebody has to do something. And who is that somebody that has to do something? That's Achilleus. He steps up, and he invites the uh, prophet Calchas to tell the Achaeans what it is they need to do to get rid of this pestilence on their cattle, and now on their people. Calchas speaks up and says, well, you're not going to like what it is I have to hear and actually I or say, and actually I don't want to say what I have to say because uh, a king might hear it and dislike very much what I have to say and then do away with me, and that king is Agamemnon. Recall that Calchas is giving him the bad news that he must give his concubine Chryseis back to this Chrysis character, and that earlier, before the Trojan War had happened ten years ago, he had told uh, Ag Agamemnon that he has to sacrifice his own daughter Iphigenia in order to get favorable winds from Aulis. And so Calchas only gives bad news to Agamemnon. So Achilleus says, don't worry about that. Tell us your bad news. Calchas tells Agamemnon the bad news that he has to give up his new concubine. Agamemnon accepts that, but then gets somewhat upset at Achilleus. He says, who, am I going to be the only person who doesn't get a, a gift from this most recent, or a reward from this most recent um, sacking of Troy. I need some geros myself. Recall that the term geros means material good that adds to your honor. I'll talk about Time and Cleos when I get to that slide. In any case, uh, Agamemnon says, I'm going to take your concubine, Achilleus, and so you will be denied your geros, and I will take your Cleos. Uh, however, uh, that's not going to happen to me. Achilleus thinks about cutting his head off. And, uh, but then agrees and says he will leave the battle and he will leave um, council. And he does that for a, a solid 18 books or so before he gets his armor back after losing it when Patroclus goes out in his stead in book 16 and dies. Now, whew, uh, a couple heralds then go to collect Briseis, the concubine of Achilleus, and take Briseis back to Agamemnon. Agamemnon now has... Briseis and Achilleus is upset. He then makes, very famously, a request to his mother Thetis. Thetis, there, recall, is his mother. She is a Nereid, a sea goddess, daughter of Nereus. And he says, please go to Zeus and ask Zeus, because he owes you a favor, so you claim, to harm the Achaeans without destroying them so that they will know how much they need me for their war effort. So that they will know what the cost of taking my Geras or my Kleos away from me Truly is. Thetis says, even though that's a terrible thing to ask, and terrible things are probably going to come of it, absolutely. She goes up, she talks to Zeus. Zeus says, I don't want to help you because my wife gets rather upset at me when I help, uh, when I work against her. Because recall, Hera is on the side of the Achaeans, so she does not want to see the Achaeans done uh, uh, 
She does not want Achaeans to be harmed in any way. She wants them to win and destroy the Trojans. In any case, uh, Zeus does agree to harm the Achaeans, though not destroy them. And Hera does get upset at Zeus. He threatens to put his unconquerable hands on her. We then meet Hephaestus, the limping god who gets between them, and suggests a reasonable conclusion to that action. And that's book one. All right, book two begins with a lying false dream. Agamemnon has that dream sent to him by Zeus. This is the beginning of Zeus helping the Trojans and hurting the Achaeans for a small amount of time. The lion dream says, Agamemnon, assemble your troops and attack the Trojans and you will defeat them and take Troy today. Agamemnon foolishly believes that. He then gives his very famous, terrible, epic uh, uh, speech to uh, the Achaeans. He tries reverse psychology. He says, I know you guys just want to go home and see your wives and don't want to finish this fight. And they all say, yes, yes we do. And then they run away. And uh, while they're running away, however, Hera and Athena, uh, Hera sending Athena, gets Odysseus to start reordering the troops, send them back from their ships to the council so that they can actually fight. In any case, Odysseus shows himself here. He shows himself as an ordering man, and then we see a parallel to him, or a juxtaposed man to him, somebody very different from him. We meet there at Thersites of the Endless Speech. Recall that he's humpbacked, he's losing his hair, he talks all the time, and Achilles and Odysseus hate him. He says that uh, Agamemnon is at fault for the fact that Achilles has left the fight and that these Achaeans, they, you know, really, they should stop following Agamemnon. They don't need to beat Troy in the same way that he does. Their honor is not at stake in the same way that his honor and Menelaus's honor are at stake. And so, therefore, uh, Thersites talks a whole bunch of smack. Well, for talking smack, he gets smacked by Odysseus with a... Uh, a, uh, a staff, and in fact, he, he drops what I think in, is the first instance in all Western media and literature, a single round tear. In any case, he gets smacked. Odysseus then relates to us a prophecy indicating that the Achaeans will win in the tenth year of the ten year, uh, involving a snake and eating several birds, and we hear about that. Book three. Book three starts with an introduction to Paris. Recall, he jumps out in front of the men in the fight. The fight has begun. The first fight that we get to see between the Achaeans and the Trojans, replaying the beginning of the war, obviously speaking, and we get to see the Trojans quite a bit in book three. So what Paris does here is he shows up without armor in a leopard skin, and the second that he sees one difficult or hard-to-beat Achaean, uh, Menelaus in particular, who wants to kill him because he had stolen his wife, uh, Helen, which was the precipitating event of the Trojan War in the first place, um, he retreats backwards. Well, who sees him? An actual, again, juxtaposed character to him. Unlike cowardly Paris, there is, of course, uh, courageous Hector. And courageous Hector sees Hec uh, Paris having done this and abuses him with difficult, or excuse me, mean, cruel words. Hector, who is the great champion of Troy, we'll talk about him much more in Book 6 when we get there. Uh, and we're making pretty good on time at this point. In any case, Paris issues a challenge. He issues a single combat challenge to Menelaus, winner take all. Whoever wins gets Helen, and the war will end. Everybody on the Achaean and the Trojan side are excited by this, because the war will finally end, and there will be a conclusion, and probably Paris will die, and justice will be done, uh, uh, which both the Trojans and the Achaeans would agree if Paris were to die, given the fact that he values his own love and loss over his own people. In any case, we then have the Tankoscopia, which I don't really need to mention much here, in, where Helen meets Priam, and she talks about Ice the Greater being rather large, Odysseus looking like a ram among sheep, Agamemnon looking very royal, and misses the fact that her brothers are not there, or she notices the fact that her brothers are not down on the battlefield. Castor and Pollux, the reason she thinks is because they're ashamed of her. The real reason is they are dead, and she does not know it. Um, sad. All right. 
The fight begins. The fight between Paris and Menelaus does not go well for Paris. Menelaus not only hits him with the spear, hits him with the sword, drags him by his own horsehair helmet, tries to kill him, but then who gets in the way and stops this fight from concluding conclusively? That is Aphrodite. She picks up Paris right when he's about to die and deposits him back in his room with Helen. Helen says, I don't want to go uh, be with this guy. And Aphrodite says, well, you better go be with this guy or I'll make men hate you as much as they now terribly love you. Helen goes and she spends some time with Paris. Menelaus back on the battlefield doesn't really know what's going on. That said, Athena then goes down to the battle. She knows, based on the agreement between Hera and Zeus, that this war needs to continue. It needs to conclude. It's not just going to end in peace. And so she goes down in the form of a Lycaon and talks to a foolish man named Pandaros. This man, Pandaros, is then convinced to shoot the unarmed Menelaus who is still in the middle of the troops, Achaeans and Trojans, and to restart the war. He shoots Menelaus. Blood drips down his legs. Looks like a horrifying death wound. It's not. Agamemnon gets very nervous about the fact that his brother's going to die and that he might lose Cleos because of this, and the battle is back on. So, we now meet in Book 5, Diomedes. We know that he's the son of Tydeus, who was one of the seven against Thebes, and his charioteer Sthenelus had the most, one of the most arrogant men, who you'll see in hell next year in the Inferno, named uh, Capaneus. Uh, he actually ran up the walls of Thebes at one point and said, Jove, are you even real or just a, a, a tale for women and children? And Jove threw a thunderbolt at him and proved his reality. In any case... Uh, which makes it very interesting in the Inferno, where there is no such thing as Jove. There's only a Christian god, of course. So how did a pagan god throw a thunderbolt at him if a pagan god doesn't, of course, exist? In any case, Diomedes is the son of Tydeus. And Tydeus was loved much by Athena. A story I didn't tell you is that his father was almost turned immortal by Athena, but he was gnawing on the head of the man who killed him, Melanippus, uh, when she came to give him immortality at the Battle of Thebes. So had he not gnawed on the head of the man who had killed him, he uh, would have been immortal, but he didn't, or rather he did, so he was not made immortal. In any case, let's remember the difference between Cleos, Geros, and Time. Time is often translated as honor. Uh, it is the physical expression of honor. And the actual particular prizes that give you your Time are called Geros. So Briseis or Priseis as concubines would be Geros. It would be a particular material piece of honor that added to the Time of Achilles or Agamemnon. Kleos is glory or fame, the things that people say about you. In our language, we would say it is your legend. Um, and that's also a Latinic way of putting it as well, just for you uh, grammarians and linguists. In any case, so we now get to see a huge fight, uh, several fights throughout book five. We see uh, uh, Diomedes accompanied by Sthenelus. We will soon see him fight against a couple Trojans, Pandaros, and Aeneas. We know that Pandaros will die. We remember the theme that whenever a minor character injures a major character, that minor character immediately gets killed. We'll see that happen several times during the course of the day because we're going through the entire Iliad. All right, so let's see which fight do we have here. Aias. And recall that Diomedes is given two uh, abilities. The, he, he has his injury um, from a recent, a recent wound with Pandaros somewhat healed, or at least made not to feel bad, not to feel pain. And he's also given the, abil the ability to see gods. He'll see Apollo, he'll see Ares, he'll see Aphrodite. Those are the gods on the Trojan side of the conflict. So do recall that. Um, he first goes after Aphrodite. He pricks her when he is fighting against her son Aeneas. And then he will also attack 
uh, Ares and Apollo. He will not hit Apollo, but he will effectively hit Ares with the help of Athena. All right, so let's see. Let's see. Where do we want to be here? Okay, good, 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 good. Yes. All right, the situation is this. First, when uh, Aeneas and Pandaros run into Stenelus and Diomedes, Diomedes first kills Pandaros. Aeneas then jumps off his chariot to defend the body of Pandaros, and he has a large rock thrown, which destroys him. All right, destroys his hip. Uh, Aphrodite then descends, trying to save the second Trojan she saved in the story. Recall that she saved um, uh, what was his name? Uh, excuse me, uh, Paris back in book three. Now she's going to save Aeneas, or at least attempt to save him in book five. She attempts to save Aeneas, but she's stabbed by Diomedes, who she doesn't know can see her at that time. And Apollo comes to save Aeneas instead. He then heals Aeneas, and Aeneas will return to the battle in the very same book. All right, good, 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 good. And in case we then see that uh, Aphrodite returns to Olympus, complains a little bit about Diomedes, she will cause trouble between him and his wife, Aegealia, when he returns home, but not so much trouble as Clytemestra and Agamemnon are going to run into, that's for sure. And we see that uh, Aphrodite's mother's name, in this account at least, is Dione, which is a feminine version of the name of Zeus. Good, 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 good. All right, so we then see another fight. The first major fight we see of a son of Heracles, Tlepolemus, and a son of Zeus, Sarpedon, uh, goes to the Trojan, not to the Achaean. Tlepolemus throws a spear, it hits Sarpedon in the thigh. Sarpedon throws a spear, it hits Tlepolemus in the throat. Sarpedon wins. Sarpedon then sits below a very famous oak tree where uh, the, the Hector then flies by and refuses to help him from. All right, Athena. She now sees Diomedes slurking or slinking off near the edge of the battle. He's now hurting again. She says, hey, I need more help from you. You have more gods that you need to attack. He says, okay. She jumps in the chariot, pushes Stenelus out, and they go to fight against Ares. Recall that Ares is oddly, for some reason, stripping the armor, armor off a body at this time. We don't know why. Uh, in any case, Diomedes ends up stabbing Ares beneath the war belt. Ares yells out in 9,000 to 10,000 voices. Recall that that's different from how many voices that Hera speaks in. She speaks in 50, like the man Stentor. That's where we get the adjective Stentorian from. All right, book six is very odd. We see not only uh, uh, Hector go back into Troy and meet the three women who love him, Hecuba, his mother, Andromache, his wife, and Helen, who is his brother's uh, sort of wife that he absconded with, but we also see that very interesting moment between Diomedes and Glaucus. Recall that Diomedes and Glaucus' grandfathers, Bellerophon and uh, Oileus, I think, uh, they, not Oileus, it's one other one, uh, it's up here somewhere, Oineus, Oineus, excuse me, uh, had been guest friends. And so even though these guys are supposed to be enemies on the battlefield, uh, the Zinnia, which is introduced here, is stronger than that. Their bond because of the Zinnia is stronger than their hate because of this war. And so recall that Glaucus gives his armor, which is worth 100 oxen and golden, to Diomedes, who gives his armor, which is bronze and worth 9 oxen, to Glaucus. And in fact, Homer says that Glaucus was relieved of his wits, but even though he gives up his far more expensive armor to Diomedes, he gets to keep his life, which we said was pretty smart. All right, Hector gets home. First person he goes to see is Hecuba. He has her sacrifice 12 heavers to Athena. Athena will not accept that sacrifice, though, because she is not on the Trojan side. She's on the Achaean side. He then goes to see uh, Paris, who is at the home of Helen. And he has to tell him to arm up and meet him at the gate of Troy. He walks into his house very rudely, not taking off any of his armor and not even setting down his spear, which you notice is the first thing that uh, Telemachus does, both with, um, both with Athena when she first shows up. He puts her spear to the side so that she doesn't attack, 
And you also do that with a murder named, murderer named Theoclemenus when he meets him uh, later on in the text. In any case, uh, book seven. Or, yeah, and uh, I, I don't have it here. I didn't, I didn't put it here, but recall also that uh, Hector talks to Andromache and meets his son. He talks about how he wants a better life for his son and is very sad about the idea of Andromache being led away as a slave, which he's sure will happen at some point, which does happen at some point. He's very much correct. He also very touchingly takes off his helmet because his son cries when he sees him in his helmet because he's scary. Uh, and then his son smiles at him when he doesn't have his helmet on, which is figured here in this red figure base painting. In any case, let's move to book seven. Book seven, again, we have another one-on-one uh, -on -one combat. This time, we have combat between Hector and Samakian. Samakian, uh, of whom nine uh, volunteer after Nestor gives a speech shaming the individuals. The three that people want to fight are Aias the Greater, Diomedes, and Agamemnon. Aias the Greater wins the draw, and he gets to fight against Hector, who shivers when he sees him. Well, Aias even manages to draw blood from Hector, but night falls in a... Dias and Talthibius both end that fight too bad. So the fight is over. It's now night. The Achaeans still are lacking Achilleus. They're not doing so well. Nestor decides, okay, let's call a truce for a day. Let's take the dead away, but let's also use that time to do something a little underhanded. Let's create a wall with a ditch with spikes around it so that if the Trojans attempt to attack us while Achilleus is not with us because they're feeling rather valorous, then we have uh, extra defenses in the same way that they have extra defenses. Alright, Antinor and the Trojans suggest giving back Helen. Unfortunately, Paris says no. They send that offer back to Agamemnon. Diomedes himself says no for all the Achaeans. Alright, cool. Remember that Poseidon did not like the fact that the wall was being made by the Achaeans because they did not pray to the gods and they did not tell the Trojans that that was their intent. In any case, in book 8, the only thing you need to know from that is that Zeus, with his golden rope analogy, says that all the Trojan, or excuse me, all the Achaean and Trojan gods, all the Olympians, are banned from the battlefield. He is going to bring about what fate has demanded, which is the fall of Troy, through the machinations he has decided on, and no one else is to get in his way. All right, book nine. Call that book nine very famously is uh, is famous because of the embassy to Achilles. Agamemnon, very nervous about what's going to happen in the next fight the next day after having lost his first battle the day before in the battle that we saw in book five and through book six. Uh, agrees to send a bunch of stuff back to Achilles. Perseus, 10 talents of gold, 20 cauldrons, 7 tripods, 12 horses, 7 women's of Les women of Lesbos, 12 20 Trojan women, one of his daughters, not as a Janae, obviously, and the friendship of his son, and 7 citadels. Odysseus, Phoenix, and Aias the Greater all go on this uh, uh, embassy. In any case, even though it's supposed to be somebody else who speaks first, Odysseus speaks first to Achilles, who's sitting right next to his best friend, Patroclus, who will die in book 16, and we'll see more in book 11 very soon here. Odysseus gives a speech, talks about how they should, uh, Achilles should have pity for him, should win more glory, and should take the gifts. Achilles says, for as I detest the doorways of death, I detest that man who hides one thing in the depths of his heart, and speaks forth another, doesn't listen. Um, then we go to Phoenix. Phoenix tells a story about Meliagros and uh, the Caledonian boar and how he should have accepted the gifts before the city was burning and that Achilles should accept the gifts and come back to this fight before it is too late to get the, those gifts, those Garros, and therefore that uh, teammate. In any case, uh, 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 Achilles says, uh, the Achaeans, or excuse me, he says, you should not speak in favor of Agamemnon for fear that you do not turn hateful to me. All right, and he looks kind of crazy in that picture. In any case, 
Ius the Greater gives his speech. He very famously in the third speech talks about the blood price, the fact that you can kill somebody during the time of the Achaeans and Trojans, and then just pay off how much it costs to pay off the debt of their life. You can literally uh, uh, put in a, a, a an amount of money on somebody's life at this time. And there are interesting websites where you can sort of do that for yourself these days. And in case Achilles says, what you say makes sense, but I'm still not coming back because I'm still angry at uh, Agamemnon. The only thing that will ever make me come back is that if my ships are being burned or accosted by Hector, only then. Which means he will come back after every Achaean is dead. He has no pity. He is like, uh, his heart is like the heart of Hades. In any case, Book 10, the Dolomnea. Book 10, the Dolomnea, we have uh, two camps attempt to go on spy missions. We have the Achaean camp, which will send out Odysseus and Diomedes, and we have the Trojan camp, which will only send out Dolon with his uh, five sisters, as we're told. In any case, Odysseus and Diomedes go out at night. Hector sends out Dolon, who uh, is evil-looking, has five sisters, and wants the horses of Achilles, which we will later find out from Odysseus seems pretty crazy. Not exactly the greatest idea. Odysseus hears Dolon, and he and Diomedes get behind him. They throw a spear in front of him. They stop him, and they tell him to put away all his thoughts of death as he shivers and does whatever it takes for him to survive, which will still not get him to survive. So he probably should have just died honorably. But he gives away the location of the Carians, the Pionians, the Lelegians, the Caconians, the Pelasgians, the Lycians, the Phrygians, the Mycians, the Myonians, and of course the Thracians. Diomedes and Odysseus then kill him, or Diomedes cuts off his head, then they go to see the Thracians. Diomedes kills 13 Thracians, 12 of them, and then one of them, like a bad dream, Rasos, their king, who is dreaming about being killed as he is killed, which means that his dream is no dream, but actually reality, because his dream was reflecting reality, unlike Agamemnon's dream from book two of the Iliad, and, uh, which was a false dream and therefore evil dream. In any case, Diomedes kills these men while Odysseus moves the uh, bodies out of the way so the horses who just got to camp uh, and have not seen dead horses or dead men and are not accustomed to that because they haven't been at war very long. They, uh, these, uh, how do I put this? Let's see, these horses. Oh, sounds like an abduction alert. Make sure that your phones are on silent. In any case, we have to go very fast today. In any case, Odysseus moves these bodies out of the way of the horses and Odysseus and Diomedes very successfully get back home after having done some serious damage to the Thracians. That said, the battle begins again in Book 11. Several characters get injured during this time, and uh, remember that Hippolochus gets his, let, his arms cut off and then kicked down the hill like a log. I, I remember that. That's very funny. Here are the men you need to know. The Achaeans that are injured are Agamemnon, Diomedes, Odysseus, Machaon, and Eurypolis. And notice that Paris is the one that injures Eurypolis, Machaon, and also Diomedes. Remember that he shot him in the foot and then bragged about it. And Diomedes said that if I'd only gotten one finger, one hand on you, I would have uh, uh, made your wife a widow and your children uh, and your children uh, cry. Uh, Paris could have responded, of course, that, uh, well, I don't have any children, so at least they wouldn't cry. And my wife doesn't like me that much, so maybe she wouldn't either. In any case, in any case. Recall that it was also the case that Agamemnon had to be injured. He was told directly by the gods that, or Hector was told directly by the gods that when Agamemnon is injured, he can re-enter the fight because Agamemnon otherwise would have killed him. All right. Now, it is the case when Machaon is taken by Nestor back to Nestor's tent, Achilles sees this happen, sends Patroclus out to Nestor to find out what has happened, to see what the uh, battle strategy is coming after this. Well, Nestor takes this opportunity to tell Patroclus that things are going very bad. Five major uh, Achaeans have been injured by uh, 
have been injured by the Trojans. And so what the Achaeans need more than anything are two options. They need either Patroclus to put on the armor of Achilles in order to help with their um, uh, 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 to help their morale, or Achilles needs to return. Obviously, he's not going to return, so probably Patroclus is going to be helping out in this case. In any case, we'll, recur we'll return to that in uh, Book 16. All right, Book 12, we get to see Sarpedon being a little bit heroic. Book 16, we'll get to see him die. Book 12, we also see Hector uh, break through the wall of the Achaeans that was made so recently to the chagrin of uh, Poseidon, and we see Zeus turn his eyes away. So Zeus turns his eyes away from this battle right as it's getting towards its climax. Poseidon emerges to help the Achaeans. Recall that Poseidon, Hera, and Athena are all the gods which are helping the Achaeans at this time. And he breeds Valor into Aias the Lesser and Aias the Greater. Uh, Alright, good. Book Jumping through Book 13 all the way to Book 14. Nestor hears the fighting and leaves Machaon in his tent. He, Agamemnon, Diomedes... And Odysseus all now need to decide whether they're going to re-enter the fighting or whether they're going to sit in their tents and just wait to die. They decide to re-enter the fighting. Even though they can't fight, they each have staffs, and they go to encourage their uh, fellow uh, people. All that said, before they do that, Agamemnon suggests that they leave one more time. This is the final time that he suggests that the Achaeans flee from Troy. And Odysseus, just like Diomedes had said last time, says... No, no, that's a very hateful thing for you to say. Now I utterly despise your heart for the thing you have spoken. While we do pull out our ships, the Trojans would destroy us. Very unintelligent thing to do. Bless you. All right, good, 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 good. All right, very famously, during Book 14 as well, while Agamemnon is uh, attempting to uh, reorder the troops and Poseidon is attempting to breathe Valor into them, uh, Hera keeps, or excuse me, keeps Zeus's mind off the battle. Uh, so he was looking at those Mycenaean troops, but then she decides to go to Aphrodite. She goes to Aphrodite to get the Zone of the Graces. The Zone of the Graces will make her irresistible. She claims that she'll have that irresistible Zone of the Graces to take to Okeanos and Tethys, who have long been away from the marriage bed together. She'll give that belt to Tethys, and then she'll seduce Okeanos, and then they'll be back together, and that'll be great. That's, however, a lie. She's going to use that zone. She's going to use that zone to uh, seduce Zeus so that he focuses on her and does not focus on the battle itself. She goes next to Hypnos, also called Sleep, in order to get him to put Zeus to sleep after she consummates her love with him so that he again continues not to focus on the battlefield. Again, recall, even though she's attempting to do all of this, Zeus will do as he wishes because he serves fate and she does not understand uh, the workings of fate in this moment. So apparently Zeus was right in book one that there are certain things he understands that she doesn't, but maybe also they have issues with communication. In any case, remember that Hera offers sleep, grace Pasithea, and that she makes a Zeus, or she makes a prophecy, excuse me, promise on the river Styx. The river Styx promise is the biggest promise that an Olympian god can make because they have to sit immobile for a year if they break it. All right. Good. Zeus sweet talks his wife. Remember that he tells her seven different women that he cheated on her with. The wife of Ixion, Danaea, Oiropa, Simile, Alcmene, Demeter, and Leto before they lay together. Then Crocus and Hyacinth bloom underneath them and wonderful. But Poseidon continues to help the Achaeans while this is happening. And uh, they regroup effectively. And, well, uh, Aias almost kills Hector again. And then we get to book 15 when Zeus wakes up and he's angry as a hornet. So, now he explains to us what's actually going to happen. He says, listen, Hera, all that you've done, you've done for now. Because first, I need uh, Patroclus to go out and kill my son Sarpedon, which will make me sad. Then, Hector needs to come out and kill Patroclus. Then, uh, Achilles needs to come out and kill Hector. And then, and only then, 
can the Trojans, uh, or can Troy fall and the Trojans be destroyed? Okay, so let's get to book 16. Patroclus returns to Achilles, crying like a little girl. Achilles asks him what's going on. Patroclus lists the injured Achaean champs and then requests Achilles to fight or give him his armor. Achilles says that he will give his armor because he is still angry at the Achaeans and in fact has said that he will not fight again until the, his ships are themselves burning. And so he sends uh, 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 Patroclus out and says, do not go beyond the gates of the Achaeans. Do not go to the wall of Troy. Obviously that is what is going to happen. All right, so Patroclus does very well for a while. He even fights against Sarpedon. When he fights against Sarpedon, Sarpedon kills uh, Achilles' trace horse named Pedasso. Some people are sad about that. And, uh, well, but Sarpedon is killed by Patroclus, one of the many, many people that are killed. In any case, Sarpedon's body is eventually taken back to Lycia, though his uh, armor is stripped. Well, now Patroclus, against the will of Achilles, charges against the wall of the Trojans. While he does that, Apollo slaps him on the back of the head and knocks his helmet off. While his helmet is off, and also his breastplate and the back of it, Euphorbus sneaks up behind him and stabs him in the back. While he is attempting to retreat back towards the Achaeans, then Hector sees him and stabs him in the midriff and vaunts over him. But as he dies, he tells a prophecy suggesting that Hector is going to die, which we know is true because Zeus already said in Book 15 that Hector is going to die, and that's part of how Troy is going to fall. All right, Book 17, really the only thing I need you to know from this is that Menelaus immediately kills Euphorbus, and that that is exactly what uh, we would have expected based on the theme that when a minor character is a major character, that minor character is ma majorly killed. Aias gets a chance to fight against Hector again. Again, does not kill him. It will be Achilles that does that. And Hector and Aeneas try to capture, unsuccessfully, Achilles' horses. Book 18. Biggest thing I need you to remember are two things from Book 18. First thing is, who gets sent back to Achilles in order to uh, tell him that Patroclus has died, that is Antilochus, who holds his hands very intelligently so that Achilles does not cut his throat, uh, though Achilles is very unhappy to hear this sort of thing. Achilles is then told to yell above the battle, which he does, and nine or so people die because of that, uh, not because of heart attacks, but because they fall out of their chariots onto their own weapons and possibly get crushed. Uh, sorry, not nine men, but twelve. In any case, Thetis then goes to Hephaestus. Second time she's asked to God for a favor based on having done some good deed to them earlier. Remember, book one, she went up to Zeus and asked for a favor from him because of her use of Briaris to unbind him from Athena and uh, 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 Hera's machinations and also Poseidon's earlier in some story we don't know beyond Homer. Now she goes up to Festus, who she had helped to uh, heal alongside another grace when he was on Lindos for ten years after being thrown off of Olympus, <coughs> which is uh, the uh, predecessor to Lucifer falling in Milton's Paradise Lost. In any case, we saw on the shield of Achilles, which was made for Achilles by Hephaestus, makes a full suit of armor for him, because now his armor has been taken by Hector, that there's the earth and sky in the middle, two cities, the city at war and at peace, activities of country life, further scenes of country life, cattle sheep, the dance, the ocean. It's supposed to represent all things in the human life. There's a nice image of it. In any case, Thetis then presents those arms back to Achilles. No other Myrmidon can look at them, but since his eyes are flaming because he has become inhuman in this moment, now no longer being connected to the earth by love to a friend and just being filled with hate, he looks at this armor, he sees all the death he's going to deal, and he decides he's going to put it on. He reconciles with Agamemnon, who claims that he was deluded when he got into this big fight with 
Achilleus, and he gives Briseis back and says, I did not lay with Briseis, as is natural between man and woman, and so we should be square. And essentially they are square. Recall that Achilleus also yells at his two horses and says, next time somebody goes out to fight with you two, why don't you bring them back? And then his horses tell him that, of course, it was not their fault that Patroclus went down and that soon he'll die too. Uh, so he loses an argument with his horses. Um, <laughs> let's see. Achilles then decides to go back out to fight. He doesn't want to, though, because Patroclus might start getting eaten by bugs and decaying and smell. Thetis says she'll take care of that, put some ambrosia on him, and then after the Achaeans assemble and Achilles says he wants to fight, Odysseus says let's eat first. They do end up eating, but then we get to books 21 and 22 where we finally get to see Achilles fight. All right, two major kills that Achilles gets. Recall Lycaon, he had caught him and enslaved him before he had left the fighting at the beginning of the Iliad, and now, 12 days later, Lycan has been bought back by his father and is back on the fighting field. While he sees Achilles, tries to run away from him, Achilles stabs him through the midriff. He tries to put his own guts back into his stomach. Doesn't work out that way, and he dies in the river Xanthos. Um, notice also that Asteropaios, he was the son of a river. He threw ambidextrously. He's the only person to injure Achilles during the entirety of the Iliad showing that Homer does not believe that Achilles is totally invincible like some mythological accounts suggest. Achilles then kills uh, Osiripius and continues to fill up the river Xanthos, also called Scamandros by mortals, with bodies. Scamandros then sends a giant river to destroy Achilles, and this is when the Theomachy begins. Hera then sends down Hephaestus to deal with Xanthos, and Xanthos is actually lit on fire by, uh, by uh, let's see if I have it here, by uh, Xanthos is lit on fire by Hephaestus and then uh, capitulates. That means uh, uh, surrenders. Bless you. Ares then challenges Athena. Athena then knocks him down over several fathoms. Uh, uh, Aphrodite attempts to take Ares off the battlefield. Athena then hits her on the chest and knocks her down as well. While this is happening, Poseidon then challenges Apollo, but Apollo says, uh, just as uh, the leaves on the tree are, so are the mortals, just as Glaucus had said in Book 6. 15 books before, and says he's unwilling to fight. Uh, the sister of Apollo, Artemis, then sees Apollo refusing to fight, and then yells at him. When she yells at him that he should never claim that he's as strong as Poseidon at the dinner table, again, Hera then boxes her ears, and she runs weeping off the field. Hermes then takes a look in the form of Argifantes, the giant killer, at Leto, the mother of Artemis and Apollo, who, as we know from Zeus, was once one of his lovers, and says, Hmm, fighting against the lover of Zeus is probably not uh, worth it. I'll take the shame of defeat from you, and then he just leaves too. So Apollo and Hermes don't fight, really, at all. In any case, Priam then sees that the Trojans are losing and orders the gates open, while Apollo distracts Achilles and allows all the Trojans to get back into Troy. All the Trojans except for a very special Trojan, that pro Trojan is Hector. So book 22. Book 22 is where the deaths of the suitors will happen, also where the death of Hector happens. Good book divisions by the later scholars who created those book divisions. Recall that the book divisions were not originally made by Homer. This was not even in a book originally. It was likely sung and then later written down. In any case, Zeus considers rescuing Hector in the same way that Zeus had considered rescuing Sarpedon, but fate is fate and fate must be maintained. Alright, what happens? Zeus weighs the destinies of both men. Hector has a heavier destiny. That means he's going to get a heavier hand. That means he's going to die. Athena then disguises herself as Hector's brother Deiphobos and convinces him to stand against Achilles after he sees Achilles, becomes terrified, and runs three times around the city of Troy. Uh, well, he does stand against Achilles, thinking that his brother's next to him. And they fight, 
Hector throws a spear at Achilles, bounces off his shield. Recall that Achilles has kind of a super shield at this point with uh, all of human life on it. Well, uh, Achilles then throws his spear at Hector, misses, then has his spear returned to him by Athena very unfairly. Hector looks to his brother for his spear, Deiphobos, but his brother is not there because that was Athena who was tricking him. Then he knows he is going to die. And so, Achilles kills Hector, stabs him. Boasts aloud of his intention to mistreat Hector's body. Recall that he stabs Hector actually through the throat, but keeps the voice box intact. Hector says, I finally know the sort of man that you are, and you know what? You're not really going to live that long. The Achaeans then crowd around. Hector starts to stab him. Achilles then uh, thong, uh, puts thongs between the heel and uh, uh, tendon of Hector's feet, puts, uh, ties him behind his chariot, and then drags him all the way back to his home. Uh, or excuse me, back to his tent. Book 24. So after the funeral games of, Achille of Patroclus in book 23, we then have book 24, which is very famous for the fact that Priam, who wants his son back, who is at the beginning of the book, uh, covered in animal feces and his own hair because he is uh, uh, very sad on the ground calling his son's poor abuses and wretches, including Deiphobos and Paris, which you know, we would likely agree with. Um, well, he then gets the idea to go. He's told by Iris, the messenger goddess in this book. We'll call Hermes is the messenger god in the Odyssey. To go down to uh, uh, the Achaean camp and to ask Achilles directly, which seems crazy and is crazy, but ends up working for the body of his son back. Well, he goes in a wagon that is later led by Hermes, who looks like he is a Myrmidon, one of Achilles' men, uh, across a river, the river Xanthos, through a gate, uh, very much like the gate of the underworld, which takes ten men to open it, or one Achilles, who's apparently ten times stronger than one man. And Priam goes through that gate, across that river, into the tent of Achilles, and meets him. Both men gaze at wonder at each other. They're both incredible men at the top of the dominance hierarchy and their respective civilizations, um, though uh, both are about to experience a tremendous fall. They both weep together, and uh, Priam does something that no other man had ever had to do, so he says, which is kiss the hands of the man who killed his son. Achilles then, even though they have sort of a tense uh, relationship with each other, convinces uh, uh, Priam to eat, and when they cry with each other, this is the moment when Achilles becomes human again. He's eating again. He's sleeping again. He's sharing in commiseration with other humans. He's feeling the suffering of the world. Recall that Achilles cries for his own, father who will never see him again and is getting old and looks probably a lot like Priam and also for his best friend Patroclus and probably just for how tragic the world can be and the sadness within it. Priam of course uh, uh, he has a lot to cry about many of his sons but in particular cries for Hector. Well Achilles agrees to give radically uh, Hector's body back to Priam. Priam takes it and then we see again the same women that we saw in book six now crying over Hector, who got to see Hector. First and foremost, we get to see Andromache, and who is now upset that CNX is going to grow up without a father, but he won't grow up at all, we know, which is even sadder. Second, we see Hecuba, his mother, who asserts that Hector was her favorite son. That makes a lot of sense. He was going to be king. And think of the other sons, like Deiphobos in Paris. And then, of course, Helen ends everything, just as she began everything. And he was, he's one of the only persons that is never harsh to her and nice to her. The Trojans gather wood, they create a pyre, and for nine days they burn Hector, and on the 11th they bury him. And that is our review session.